Let's pray as we get into the Word today. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We have come here, Father, to hear from You. The reason churches all over the country are filled today, more than usual possibly, is because everybody wants to today give mom what she likes, what she wants, what she desires, what she hopes for, and that is that her family will serve you. And today, Father, we are here ready to hear from you. That's why we came. We are here to worship you, and we are here to humble ourselves before you, not to lift ourselves up, but to bring ourselves low. You said, let every man be brought low, but let Christ be lifted up. Amen. Usually, what you find is on Mother's Day, everybody oftentimes, most of the time, throughout the last couple of decades that I've been alive, Everybody celebrates moms as they should. Moms are wonderful. Moms are fantastic. You can, you can say anything about anybody. Don't say anything about my mom, all right? <laughs> but when it comes to Father's Day, oftentimes it's a bit of a whiplashing, right? <laughs> like, let's put out the whips. Come on, men! Get your act together, you know? <laughs> but uh, I don't want to do either of those. I just want to go to scriptures and look at where we are at today through with a biblical context, with biblical glasses on. That's why I titled today, Mothers in the Line of Fire. Mothers in the Line of Fire. Our reading is two, chap- two, two portions, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. It says, an excellent wife. Can everybody please say excellent? An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. 1 Corinthians 11.7 says, But women is the glory of man. We have to ask the questions today, and we're going to answer them. What is a woman? Unfortunately, we have to do that today. We're going to ask the question and answer, Can anyone decide to be a woman? Can anyone decide to be one? We're going to ask the question, what was woman's first role God called her to fill? We're going to ask the question, what is the difference between a God-fearing Christian woman and a feminist? What is the difference? We're going to ask, what makes women the weaker vessel? And we're going to ask, why, where lies a woman's value? Especially from God's perspective. I have a video for you from um, Eden in exile. And um, I really want to encourage you, just this is the first three minutes of it, but I really want to encourage every one of you to show this to your mom, show this to yourself. But I also have another request. If you're a single man, if you're a single woman, you have to watch this. Because in this day and age, I believe that this is a hinge upon which society will turn. And it will turn because Christ always wins. Thank you, Han. So what is, what is a woman? Interestingly enough, our culture hates the idea of a sovereign God ruling and governing over them, measuring them, designing them, and making them as He wills, not as they will. 
They have so much disdain for the sovereign God or the sovereign God of scriptures. They've given up all their rational thought and in so doing, they have in fact destroyed themselves. They've cut off what they shouldn't have. They've identified as they should not have. And in, in, in the process, they've destroyed self as they attempted to lift self up. The question, what is woman, has become the most debated question of our culture today. But as usual, the Bible answers all of our questions with wisdom, with insight, with superior truth. Well, the only truth, but superior insight. The need, the value, and the purpose of a woman. You see, God called man to do what? To, to keep and to tend, to work the garden. He called man to multiply. He called man to be fruitful. He called man to subdue. He called man to be fruitful, to multiply, and to subdue the earth. However, God knew man couldn't actually do that by himself unless, of course, he has an helper. God made from man's rib, therefore, a woman. From man, God made another man, but this time, a man with a womb, woman. God obviously had a plan for her womb. Man couldn't multiply himself, remember? Go and be fruitful and multiply. He couldn't be fruitful by himself, so God made a womb man to enable him in fulfilling his mission. He couldn't multiply himself, so God made a womb man in order to enable him to fulfill his purpose. Man couldn't subdue the earth all by himself, so God made woman to enable him. She is the enabler of man. She was made to be man's help. The Bible says it clear, doesn't it? She is to be not his competition, but his help. The world throws that away and now makes her his competitor instead of his help. And so they undo themselves from top to bottom, from bottom to top. So to answer the question of the day, what is a woman? Here are seven distinctions for you. And I have to make the first distinction that she is an adult. Why? Because for some reason... Our culture has believed that it's important now to tell a three-year-old boy he can be a woman. Give them the option of choosing to be women. What is a woman? Number one, she is an adult. She is an adult woman, man with a womb. We call her female. She is God's image. And she is God's likeness in the earth. She is God's agent, made by God, God's agent, sent to help who? Man. She is the mother of the human race, made possible because of her womb. She is the crown of her husband. She is the glory of man. She is woman. But now, I have to go beyond just what she is. I have to actually explain what she's not in order to give even greater clarity. She is not man's head. She is the crown on a man's head. 
She is not man's competitor. She is man's helper. She is not man's authority. She is under his authority. Wife is not husband's authority. Wife is under husband's authority. She is not male. She is female. She is not the replacement for a man. She is not the alternative to a man. She is not the substitute for a man. She is the glory of man. I love how C.S. Lewis said of the housewife, the mom, he said that all business, all business exists to support that position right there. Everybody works for her. That's why men get up and they go to work and they build companies and they build empires because they are doing what? They are coming home to build the home that she runs. Now, Satan has lied. He's always a liar. He lied to women in the garden. He lied to Eve. And Satan is again lying to women everywhere. But many women now see right through his lies. Satan is telling women that absolutely anybody and anything can be a woman. Today's culture, as a matter of fact, if you think about it, they downplay, they trivialize, and they belittle what it means to be a woman to the point that they claim absolutely anybody and anything can actually be that, as if it's nothing to be. If anybody claims to be a woman today, what in fact they are doing is they're claiming to be a man with a womb, and therefore they claim to have the eggs to become pregnant, and therefore have the ability to carry that child inside of their womb, and therefore deliver that child. That's what they claim. That is science, <laughs> actual science. However, the world has lost its mind because the world is confronting a sovereign God and the world is losing the battle severely, hopelessly, because God-fearing women are starting to draw lines, as you saw, Doug Wilson's daughter bringing out even exile, as you saw, women are starting to push back in a very, very intellectual and truthful way. So let's talk about, for a moment, the sin of lying, because it's become part of our culture. You know a politician is lying when? His lips are moving. All right? <laughs> Did you know that lying is, a, apart from it being the practice of the day, it's actually a very harmful practice. And it's a very destructive, a very dangerous thing as we are encouraging absolutely everybody from second grade on to lie. You see, why is lying so dangerous and self-destructive? Is because, number one, the person who lies misrepresents God, the very God who cannot lie. You are misrepresenting God when you lie. That's why he says, sin. You miss the mark. You are misrepresenting me when you do not speak the truth. Stop lying. Speak the truth and express, glorify God as you imitate him in speaking truth. The second reason why lying is dangerous is because you turn yourself or you turn on yourself when you lie. 
You divide yourself when you lie. Schizophrenia starts somewhere. Mental disorder starts somewhere. And when you turn on yourself, when you divide yourself, you are birthing that process of a mental disorder inside of yourself. How many of you had to come clean about something because you just simply couldn't sleep anymore? Yeah? <laughs> yeah? I'll tell you what, people who have seared their consciences can now lie more than ever before and still feel okay about it. But the God-fearing, they can't even exaggerate any kind of truth anymore, and they have to repent for it. And so the divide grows. The crazy is becoming crazier, and the sane is becoming more sane. Light has become lighter, darkness is becoming darker. Knowing and believing one thing, yet then coming into agreement with what is contrary to that thing you say you believe and you know is true, is to divide and to fracture yourself. I know truth, but I speak lies. I want to I do a little bit of an exercise today. Is that okay? All right, I have, I have an equation for you right here. First image. First image is, I'm going to ask you to shout out five. One plus one is? Five. Yeah. Everybody goes. I mean, five. All right, here's the next one. Shout something out that is not the answer. Two plus two is? <laughs> it is actually laughable. Okay, I've got one more image for you. I want you to tell me, okay? Man or woman? Man. <laughs> no, 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 no. Man or woman? Okay, now what I'm trying to show you is, do you realize just how fractured, unhealthy, dangerous, self-destructive, and mentally ill society is becoming? Where you are forced to lie against your own knowledge, right? Got it? You may not do that. You may not add a lie to compensate for what you want, the love that you need from the world. You can't do it. Not allowed to do it. Christians may not do that. It's a sin against your God. You misrepresent Him and you harm yourself. Re Revelation 21.8b, and then I'll move on. It says, All liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All liars have their place in hell. Just think about that verse next time somebody requires you. You are required to lie. I want to just compare the godly woman versus the culture of Jezebel. The godly woman of today, that's you, and this culture of Jezebel. The divide between true Christian women and the cultural feminist movement has never been this wide. The God-fearing woman stands for everything the feminist hates. If you think about it, the God-fearing woman is pro-life. The feminists hate that. It's interesting that what's happening right now, let me move on. 
the God-fearing woman is pro-life. The feminists hate that. The God-fearing woman is anti-LGBTQ, and the feminists hate that. The God-fearing woman is anti the transgender movement in society, including women's sports, and feminists hate them for it. The godly woman is the force behind fighting against perverted sex ed or porn in our public school curriculums, and the feminists hate them for it. But here's one for you. The godly woman builds, blesses, and supports her husband while the feminist hates them as they attempt to pull down the patriarchy, this godly woman actually builds it up. Proof is in the pudding. As the Christian, God-fearing Christian woman prays, her husband is blessed. As she raises her children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, her husband is blessed. As she submits to God by submitting to her husband, her husband is blessed. As she increases, her husband becomes more prosperous. <laughs> her increase becomes her husband's increase. Just as we see in Proverbs 31. She knows she is blessing her husband when she prospers. He knows he's, her increase and her fruitfulness establishes him. The feminists know this and they simmer with hatred toward the God-fearing Christian woman. You see, feminists hate God-fearing Christian woman because they freely live for God and not for themselves. They freely live for God and not for themselves. So we see this divide becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's within the camp called womanhood. This divide will become bigger. But you know, one of the things I've realized is that I don't know whether I'm a premillennialist, amillennialist, or postmillennialist, but for a postmillennialist, those who believe that the kingdom of God is increasing and of its increase there will never be an end, and as the world has become predominantly Christian from being 500 little disciples in the beginning, that were chased after and slaughtered. So the kingdom of God has grown and grown and grown. And the kingdom of God birthed what we know as schools. The kingdom of God birthed what we know as hospitals. The kingdom of God is the foundation of our legal system. The kingdom of God is the foundation of capitalism. The kingdom of God is the foundation of freedom as we live it here in, this, in the West. The kingdom of God has established so many fundamental truths throughout society. Our society is built upon the principles of Judeo-Christian uh, um, principles. So as it has grown over 2,000 years, those who believe that it's going to keep growing and keep growing and keep becoming more, more uh, um, um, prominent, you know, one of the things I can see about that is that when all of these things rise up, it refines what we truly believe. It refines your faith. It refines how you identify things, how you articulate things, what your faith states. I'll be honest with you, when the, the question about what is a woman came up, 
I heard many people go like, well, a woman is um, a, uh, let me think. Well, you know, them rising up and convoluting the idea forced God-fearing individuals to come up with and refine their perspective and identification of women. But so it is with everything else. Two of the greatest blessings given to the church or the body of Christ is number one, heresy, and number two, persecution. Persecution comes, and when persecution comes, all the cockroaches run, right? <laughs> and all you have left is those who truly believe. That has been true throughout the history of Christianity. Persecution has purified the seats. But then comes heresy. And when heresy rises, then it forces the true believers to refine what they actually believe from scriptures. This has been true throughout all of Christian history. And that is why it's so important for us for these things to bubble up and to surface so that we can refine our beliefs about these things. Educating your children. Do you realize that homeschooling went from 2 million families in the U.S. to 11 million families in the U.S. in the last three years? It's reaching a place of, t of, of tipping point, right? So what happens is when these things come up, we have to answer them. We refine what we believe, and that's been a wonderful thing. And so we have to go back to the original, the author of all things, and we have to find out, okay, what is it that we do believe about this world as it is today? Well, the first thing I want to mention out of the two things that I want to bring to you about the God-fearing and what we know about the God-fearing woman and what the world does not know is that women are, in fact, the weaker vessel. Women are, in fact, the weaker vessel. 1 Peter 3 verse 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Showing honor, not. Exploiting, but showing honor as the weaker vessel. I mean, during a sports game, say football game, if you're on team A and you're, fighting, you, you're playing team B, what you do is you study team B in order to find out where's their weak player. What's that team's weakness? And then you strategize on how you can exploit the weakness in order to win the game. It is so in tennis. It is so in chess. It is so in war. It is so in business. It's so in every facet of life. You look for the weakness and then you go about strategizing. Here Peter is telling husbands to do the exact opposite. Not to exploit or strategize on how to always have your way by means of using the weakness that he sees in women, but by honoring her for it. It's an interesting thought. He turns it around. He says, honor her weakness. Honor her weakness. 
So what is the nature of this weakness? It's interesting. Proverbs 31 shows us a woman who is extremely capable, a woman who is extremely wise, a woman who is morally upright. This Proverbs 31 woman honors her husband, and she's productive in absolutely every way. I mean, she's a real, she, she invests in real estate. She grows uh, uh, food. She feeds everybody. She clothes everybody. I mean, she builds that house. Have you realized the economy, the household economy, which is something that, of course, we're starting to come alive to again? I was thinking about it the other day. I said to Tina, Tina, can you believe it? My house, under your rule, <laughs> is in fact, you know, it's, it's like a bed and breakfast. It's like a hotel. Uh, you know, it's a restaurant. It's better than a restaurant, actually. It's a school. It's a hospital. It's an investment, if you own it. It's a crash where, where babies go. It's a nursing home. Your home is everything. The economy of a home. But guess who makes that economy work? So here Peter says to husbands, now husbands, there's something about your wives. They have a weakness that you ought to honor that weakness. What is the nature of this weakness? Well, we... we what, you know, what is this weakness? Because I don't see a weakness in the Proverbs 31 woman. She's building this household that has a massive economy. Even her servants are prospering under her. We tend to view weakness as something to despise, yet we are here told to honor that weakness. So how is this done? Well, I want to give you an example how you honor a weakness. Because a weakness actually has very little to do with value or the lack thereof. Let's say, for instance, there is a, <clears throat> a very pristine vase standing on a mantelpiece. And you have to go and pick that vase up and you have to move it to another room and place it else, somewhere else. How do you do that? Very carefully. Why? Because it's fragile. Then, let's say you go and you have to go into the workshop and pick up a sledgehammer. And then you have to go into the back and you have to go and hit something and then you have to go put it back into the... How do you treat that sledgehammer? With much less care than you do the vase, right? Because it is so strong. It is so durable. And so when you, when you treat somebody's weakness with honor, you treat it with care. You put your focus on it. You protect it from falling, from tumbling, from hitting anything. Because you're honoring the fact that it's so fragile. But I also want to just point out to you that you could possibly, with uh, expensive vase, you could buy 10,000 sledgehammers because the value is so different. So the weakness doesn't change the value of, and the strength doesn't change the value of, but it changes how you can treat it.
So in what ways are women the weaker ones? Women are weaker in multiple ways, especially when it comes to physical strength. We see that in women's sports today. Women are weaker. God made them that way. And that is to be honored, not exploited, as the world is currently doing. So women ought to rise up in support of the truth that why are, why are we allowing the women, why are we allowing men to exploit the weakness of a woman publicly the way they are? Why are the feminists fighting to exploit women? We know women are physically weaker than men. Women are weaker when it comes to emotional strength. 1 Peter 3 verse 6. They are more fragile. For most part, not always, they cry easier. They sympathize quicker. They hurt deeper. Women are weaker when it and that ought not to be exploited because oftentimes the one who loves most hurts most. That ought not to be exploited, but protected and honored. Women are weaker when it comes to, follow me, they're weaker in the sense of being easily deceived. More so than the man would be. And there are many ways to explain this, but let's look at Scripture. 1 Timothy 2, verse 12 through 14. 1 Timothy 2, 12 and 14. Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Oh, and everybody just freaks out. All right. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. (laughs) Verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And now he explains it further, verse 14. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. So our first point is that we have to know that women are weaker. And even, as Paul mentioned, they were the ones that were deceived. But not to be despised over that weakness. Honor them over that weakness. To some men, they're just so stubborn, they believe nobody and nothing. They're just so stubborn. Women are quick to believe, especially when a man tells them, I love you. Okay. <laughs> you had me at hello. <laughs> Women are so quick, aren't they? To serenity, to give in. That is a weakness, but that is a weakness to be honored. Honor their weaknesses, the Bible says. So number two, the thing that we know about women, that the world does not know about women, is that God values soul beauty. God values soul beauty. In 1 Peter 3 verse 4, the Bible says, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, it's internal, with the imperishable beauty, it doesn't fade, and a gentle Of a gentle, quiet spirit. Now, what is the internal beauty? What is the imperishable beauty? 
that never goes away. It is a gentle and quiet spirit. A gentle and quiet spirit. And then it says, which is, the gentle and quiet spirit, in God's sight, very precious. This is, in God's eyes, valuable above all things. A gentle and quiet spirit. Whenever you read scriptures regarding women, and we're doing that today because it's Mother's Day, and if you have a problem with the scriptures, then you have a bigger problem with than just this. <laughs> right? But when you read the scriptures, you will find that what you see in the world is oftentimes the exact opposite of what God says for women to be. Because ultimately, man does whatever man can to overthrow God's rule over them. To the point of saying, I will not submit to your design of me. I will not submit to your purpose for me. I will not submit to your will. When Jesus taught us to pray, not my will, but your will be done, even right before he walks to the cross. So can we give ourselves to God's will when the world expresses the exact opposite, demands the exact opposite. So we see a couple of things about this verse. We know that this gentle and quiet spirit is, number one, hidden. We see that this gentle and quiet spirit is in the heart. We see that it is the preciousness of a woman that God is looking for. It is an internal work it is not an external display of beauty and elegance and fashion and bad attitude. I was watching a, f a fashion show the other day. I thought that, man, this is, like, this is like the expression of total depression. It's like, could anybody please smile? <laughs> but I think things crack when they do. It is the internal work, not the external display of beauty. We know this. Is therefore incorruptible. And guess what? Things that are incorruptible are fa fantastic. God calls you to such a higher plane, you won't believe it. He's calling you to something that is incorruptible. That means as you age, you remain beautiful and precious and valuable. Yet, as they do the exact opposite, they demand that they're valuable, beautiful, and precious. So what is this gentle and quiet spirit? What is it? What does it mean to have that? Let's first look at what it means to have a gentle spirit. A gentle spirit. To say that she has a gentle spirit is to say that she has a gentle attitude. She has a tame attitude, a tame spirit. She is tame in the sense that she can be approached. She's tame in the sense that she can be disagreed with and not cut you. She's tame in the sense that she's not disagreeable. She has put away her sharp edges. She has put away her contentiousness. She has put, put away her contrariness. She has a, gent she has a gentleness about her which makes you feel safe. She's never vengeful. 
She's never vengeful. This is what God looks at and he goes, that's precious. That is precious. There are reasons why that is precious. It's got nothing to do with man. It's got to do with the fact that she trusts God so much, she doesn't have to take vengeance because she knows vengeance is God's, even in marriage. She doesn't have to get back at anybody because she knows she's God's daughter. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, take no vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And then it explains very clearly, hold your peace, make room for God's wrath. <laughs> it's like, I thought this was going to have a happy ending. No, make room for God's wrath. That's, this precious woman is precious because she actually trusts God. And it's evident in her attitude. So she puts away her sharp edges, her contentiousness, her contrariness. It doesn't mean she doesn't have an opinion. It just means she doesn't, she, she doesn't cut you up with her opinion. I can't tell you how blessed I am with my wife in the sense that whenever I need to have clarity of thought at times, I oftentimes just bring it to her and I say, so what do you think of this? And immediately... You know, as she starts talking about it, I say, wow, that's fantastic. I always validate her opinion. I actually um, really do consider every single angle from which she sees things. It's not like she doesn't have one. She just doesn't fight me with it. So what does it mean to have a quiet spirit? Because God said both. He says those who have... Number one, a gentle spirit and a quiet spirit. A quiet spirit. And everybody goes, there you go, you're shutting women down. No, it's not what it says. It says a quiet spirit. It doesn't say a quiet mouth. A quiet spirit. Very different from having a quiet mouth. <laughs> if you're married to an Italian, you know sometimes it's just natural. I look at my boy and I look at my, my little girl and I'm thinking... She has, in one day, literally 20, 20 times more words to say than he does. God made women this way. He didn't say, stop speaking. He said, to have a quiet spirit. This means she doesn't rise up easily from within. She doesn't rise up easily from within. Women who rise up easily from within are still struggling with the same thing that happened in the garden. God turned to Eve and said, your desire will be for your husband. And evidently, he wasn't speaking about sexual desire because that wanes. But your desire will be for the position that I've given him, which is over you. And that immediately infuriates the world, but not the church. It infuriates the godless, but it does not infuriate the God-fearing. The God-fearing person actually loves to hear what God has to say about the beings he created. Isn't that true? I love reading about what God has said, about what I am responsible for in my marriage and in my family and in the church. No matter how hard it is, I love hearing it. 
The God-fearing woman loves to hear what makes her precious in the eyes of God. So what does it mean to have a quiet spirit? It means she doesn't rise up easily from within. Control with tears. She doesn't have a very sensitive trigger. Some people are triggered by anything and everything. Everything and anything. She's not easily offended. Psalm 165. Psalm 119, verse 165. I am not offended because I love your word. I love your word. Therefore, I am not offended. I trust God. Therefore, I actually have no trigger. She has a peaceful or well-ordered spirit. She has a peaceful or well-ordered spirit. Her spirit is together. She is together from the inside first and then the outside. Nobody is saying people need to look like they just fell out of bed all day long. That was not the point. The point is that the beauty that women have ought to come from the inside out. She has a peaceful and well-ordered spirit which would allow her to speak, which will allow her to behave in a peaceful and well-ordered way. Think of the Proverbs 31 woman. So Peter is not suggesting low volume. He's not suggesting no words. He's rather suggesting a character of peacefulness. And to have a gentle and quiet spirit is to have, a, to have soul beauty, which is the thing that God views as precious, valuable. And it's an interesting, interesting thing to me how the world is exactly the opposite, but demands to be viewed as precious and valuable and beautiful. So there are these two things that we see that the God-fearing woman knows and believes that the world does not have knowledge of. And that is that, God, that, that women are, in fact, the weaker vessel and that they have preciousness that comes from the inside out, but it's always God's way. Now, you have a choice. You can do one of two things with what you heard this morning. <laughs> you can say, well, I was waiting to be told of how wonderful I am, but yes, you are told how wonderful you are, and you were told biblically as to God's perspective of what makes a person wonderful. Amen? And we have to realize that today, women are in fact the ones that are in the line of fire. It is the woman, it's to the woman whom, whom God has given a word today. It's to the woman whom God has said, okay, well, it's time to draw a line. It's to the woman whom God is saying, now refine, refine what you believe about what I said concerning you. It's to the woman to stand up for the truths about herself that God has told her and taught her. And I don't necessarily like contention, but I sometimes look at what's going on in school today, schools today, and I'm thinking, I wish I was still in high school today. I'd probably be expelled on day one, right? <laughs> it's like, we all do that. You sit and you watch, you watch a talk show and you see some celebrity pastor go up there and isn't able to answer a question that's straight up biblical. And you go like, I mean, I wish I could answer that question. <laughs> I wish I could. I'm not necessarily looking for contention. But I'll tell you something. That sometimes um, I just wish 
I had the freedoms and the position women have today. Because everybody knows women can say stuff men can't say. Isn't that true? And this fight is, this fight, this is after you. And it's time, it's time for women to refine what they believe about what God has made them. That they are in fact the crown of their husbands and they are in fact the glory of man. And they are in fact man made in God's image with a womb. And in fact, they're the only ones that have that. And, it, and not anybody and everybody can be that. And it's time to actually respond to the world. That's why I love that documentary, Even Exile. And I really want to encourage you to pick it up. I want to close by a sta- with a statement that Calvin made. Calvin says, even a dog barks when his master is assailed. Even a dog barks when his master is assailed. Today, you see how the world is responding to the sovereignty of God inside of our lives. For those of you that don't know what sovereignty means, it's when God acts alone independently with no one praying or not praying, asking or doing. He acts independently because it's His will. For instance, you were born, male or female, you were born in the nationality that you were born in. Nobody made that decision. You were born with the color eyes that you have. Nobody made that decision. You were born inside of this age. Nobody made that decision. God made that regarding you. You have a last name, and no, but you, it wasn't your choice. There are certain things about you God decided, and the world is trying to overthrow that. And as Calvin said, that even a dog barks when his master is assailed, and it's time for some barking to happen. Amen? <laughs> it's time for us to know what we really believe and actually draw those lines because we are leaving a legacy behind us. And that legacy is of our doing. Amen. Let's pray. Father, today, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Father God, for your word that is wisdom. You, Jesus, you are the word that became flesh. God, you said you take your word and you place it above yourself. I thank you, Father God, that we can hold on to your word because it is eternal. There is no truth beyond it. But all truth springs from it. It is so important for us on this very important day, Mother's Day, to drive stakes in the ground in order to honor womanhood from your perspective, according to your design. And therefore today we honor women for who they are and we will not let others take it from them. We honor them. In their weakness, we honor them in their wisdom. We honor them in their purpose. We honor them for who God has made them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Did you get something out of the word today? Amen.